Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 95. And let's dig into our Scripture for today and, and the Psalm that, that God has led us to. You'll have to do a great job now of taking notes on your worship folder because you don't have the help of the screen behind me today. Um, usually we prompt you with some statements, a few words, but uh, you'll need to probably work that on your own. I'm sure you can with no problem. As we look at Psalm 95, and the message titled, From Wonder, W-O-N-D-E-R, to Wonder, with an A. I mean, let's think about this. There are few things as exhilarating as the wonder of our Lord Jesus Christ. With an O. Now I like to say it like this to, to my wife. We'll say this sometimes. Let's just get confused on purpose. And so we'll sit and think about how in the world God saves people. Have you ever thought about that? I know it's we've kind of reckoned it to the four spiritual laws and we've got it down to a prayer. But I mean, think about the incredible theology behind the salvation process that God would reach down and find people whose heart is dead. Reach down and, and, and prick their heart with grace and faith and save them and then begin to sanctify them so that one day He could present us to Himself holy and perfect. I That's way above my head. I can write it on paper, show you verses, and I can explain it in a class. But the truth is, it's an amazing process. The process that, uh, of salvation. Uh, the big word is soteriology. But you know what? It's amazing how God does that. And just think about other ways in which God's wonder stands out to you. You ever thought about the universe? And that we're just one of many? And, and the whole solar system, uh, the complexity of that. And for God, it was a matter of speaking one word. He said, light. And light was. I mean, yet for us, you know, we can't hardly get the switch to turn on. <laughs> for God, He lit the whole universe with a single word. It only took Him six days. To make everything you see, it takes us 15 years to build a freeway. 235. You see what I'm saying? I mean, it's amazing, but God, things aren't difficult with God. His complexity and His, and yet His simplicity, those two things combining, it's a, it's a wonder to think about. And yet, few things can be as frustrating as wandering from God. Think about those two words. You've been in moments and times when you have been very close to God. And His wonder with an O has filled your heart. And then there's been times when you've been distant from God. And you've wandered from Him. And you've been frustrated. Spiritually agitated. Emotionally irritated. I want us to think about those two words this morning as we read Psalm 95. Because... Probably more than most chapters, this psalm talks about these two words. Look with me, Psalm 95, verse 1. And in fact, you ought to take a pen and you ought to put brackets around verses 1 through 7. And somewhere on the margin of your Bible, you need to write the word wonder and underline the letter O. Let's read together. Here's what the Bible says. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, for He made it and His hands formed 
the dry land. In these first uh, opening four verses, we find a great exaltation of, of God's magnificent and wonderful character. And by the way, some things I want to show you, just underline a few things. Underline all the plural pronouns here. I want to say to you that worship is congregational. It's corporate. There is a sense of worship that we, we do together. It's also visible and it's also vocal. Look what he says. Let us sing for joy. Let us shout aloud. So lots of things here, especially about God's greatness, deal with coming together and shouting and singing and making great praises to God. But watch this transition here. Verse 5. Excuse me, verse, uh, verse 6. He says, come let us now bow down in worship. In the first four or five verses, we were standing, shouting aloud, singing, extolling, celebrating. Now suddenly we're bowing down. Why? Look at the next phrase. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. You see, in the first few verses, it was God, the King over all the earth, wasn't it? It was the great God over the mountains, the sea. And by the way, if you look at those phrases, you'll notice that it's, it's, it's whatever's wet, whatever's dry, whatever's high, whatever's low, it's all God's. And that's about everything, isn't it? If it's wet or dry, high or low, God made it, it's His. In these first verses, He's extolling God's greatness. But in these next verses, the idea of intimacy comes out. And what do we do in moments of intimacy? We bow down. We kneel before the Lord our Maker. Why? For He is our God. Now you talk about a moment of wonder. The same God that spoke light into existence. That took a a little bit of dust and breathed on it. and And a man was created. That same God, the Bible says, is your Maker. It suddenly becomes very personal, doesn't it? Let's read on. He is our Maker. He is our God and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Can I share with you some, a personal opinion on something? I think that based on these first seven verses, here's a good pattern of worship that I want to encourage you to take. When worship is personal and intimate, in other words, He's my Maker. He's our Maker. We look at His, His shepherding aspects. I think at moments like that, Worship becomes very, uh, I don't want to say quiet, but it can come, it becomes very intimate. It becomes personal. A kneeling posture. A bowing posture, as the text indicates. When worship celebrates God's reign over the whole earth, His incredible creative power, I think it takes a very exuberant, celebrative aspect. Which is why, at First Family, when we gather together on Sunday mornings, we are very committed to celebrating God and His, His glory. His creative power. We expect and really admonish you to have some moments when there's personal intimacy. In your smaller groups, you'll probably find a lot more of that personal intimacy. Those times when you sense God's shepherding ability in your life. When we gather, we want to really model these first four or five verses where we extol God's greatness. And we think it's awesome that when you want to clap and shout and sing and celebrate God, we serve an awesome God, don't we? And I want to encourage you that as our church learns how to celebrate God, as our church learns how to do these first few verses, thanking Him, come before Him with singing, shouting aloud and singing for joy, man, just kind of learn with us, would you? He moves on, then he says in verse 8, we have in verse 7 actually a transition. He says, today if you hear His voice, and then suddenly it switches to God talking, which is typical of many of these Jewish songs. 
They would have one choir on this side chanting something. And then suddenly, to show a change in mood, the choir on this side of the, of the arena. And this, and this psalm here was a temple song. They would begin to, to chant or to sing. And so they would kind of chant back and forth to give the idea of a conversation. Well, here's the transition. Today, if you hear His voice, verse 8, God says, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah. As you did that day at Massah in the desert. Now, with the pen in hand, I want you to take, a, take your pen and put brackets between around verses 8 through 11 and write the word wander with an A. Because now we're going to see a complete change. A, a, an incredible transformation between the wonder of God, how incredible He is, to suddenly the wandering of His people. It's a, it's a, this psalm really takes us from one extreme to the other. Look what he says. He's talking about wandering here. If you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as you did at Meribah and at Massah in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, there are people whose hearts go astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And then the psalm ends. That's an abrupt ending, isn't it? I mean, from the beginning verses, when like God is awesome, the whole earth is His, to suddenly He says, oh, by the way, you'll never enter the promised land. That's the end. Thank you. You're dismissed. I mean, what an abrupt ending. Now, I want to connect these two portions of this psalm. These two thoughts. The, the wonder and the wander. I want to connect them with you. Okay, watch this. He, he draws an illustration for us of the children of Israel at two or three places. They're called Meribah and Massah. Now watch this, guys. Be very careful. You may want to take some notes here and jot this down. It is at these two places, it is at these two crossroads that they went from wonder to wandering. Watch me, okay? The first one, the Bible gives it the name Meribah, which actually means quarreling. One of your notes in your Bible will show you that. It means to strive or to contend with, to quarrel. The first, there were actually two Meribahs in the Old Testament. Write these references down. Uh, Exodus 17 and Numbers 20. You want to read those passages. I'm going to ask you to turn to uh, Exodus 17. Let's look there briefly. At this first incidence of, of Meribah, when the people quarreled, I'm going to show you how they went from wander to, excuse me, from wonder to wander. You'll, you'll like this because it will speak to us where we are. Exodus 17. This is about a month after they came out of the, of, of Egypt. And by the way, Exodus 17 is just after Exodus 15. You know what Exodus 15 is? Exodus 15 is the song of victory by Miriam and Moses for getting them out of Egypt. One month later, look at Exodus 17. They're out in the desert of sin, verse 1. They ask Moses for drink. I'm kind of giving the styles paraphrase here. Verse 3. They were thirsty, and in this phrase, and they grumbled against Moses. Thirty days. They just sang about how wonderful God was. They had just got through extolling His greatness. And suddenly, one month later, they're like, hey, we're thirsty. What's up, Moses? Does God fall asleep? Where's this Jehovah? Where's Yahweh? Come on, Moses, do your magic. They grumble against Moses. Well, Moses talks to God and, and basically he strikes the rock in verse 6 or so. The Water comes out. Look at verse 7. And he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled 
And because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Interesting, isn't it? Now, we're going to show how these things tie together, but I want you to catch the real vision of this psalm. That is, God's wonder, when we lose sight of that, it starts usually with the crossroads in our life and then our inability to trust and have faith and we start quarreling and griping, complaining, testing. That begins the wandering. Let's go to Numbers 20. Look at Numbers 20. Another instance of this very same process that is laid out for us. As uh, mentioned in Psalm 95, Numbers 20. Here, of course, is much the same uh, story. They were thirsty. They complained against Moses. God encouraged Moses to speak to the rock, but instead he strikes it. So not only were the people punished, Moses and Aaron were punished. And look at verse 13. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, where He showed Himself holy among them. I want to say to you something very, very clearly and very honestly, folks. Listen very, very definitively to me on this point. It is often after a great victory, when you're awed by God's wonder with an O, that you will be tempted to wander with an A. Check through, check through scriptures of other people who came off great mountaintops. And the very next thing they met was an incredible valley. Our church has no doubt experienced this. You've experienced this. Your family's experienced this. It is not uncommon or unbiblical to realize that often, after a great high, when we are in wonder of God, that the enemy creeps in and says, Hey, I wonder if you'll be able to, I wonder if you'll be open, and, and I'll tempt you to wander with an A. In fact, I imagine there's folks here. You've seen better days spiritually. You recall right now a time in your life when, when you lived in the wonder of God. Every day was your worship experience. But it's not that way anymore, is it? You find yourself struggling even connect to God, asking questions like, is He there? Does He know what I'm going through? You think it's more like a wandering experience than a wondering experience. Let me show you another instance in which the Israelites had the very same situation. I'll make some points from this. Numbers 14 is another illustration mentioned in Psalm 95. Turn over to Numbers 14. As you're turning to Numbers 14, I want to remind you that this portion of Psalms, Psalm 95, which is in the fourth book, you know, there's five books in Psalms. Isn't it odd that we're in Numbers a couple, three times today? Isn't that interesting? That book correlates to the, to the fourth book of the Old Testament. So we're seeing how Psalms really correlates to the Old Testament journeys of the children of Israel. Numbers 14 is when uh, they were sent out to spy the promised land. Well, twelve went, ten came back with what? Bad reports. Two came back with good reports. The people listened to the ten. And it's from this illustration about verse 26, look with me, that we hear about how they tested God. And, and this is why God calls them to wander for 40 years, as He said in Psalm 95. Look at verse 26. The Lord said to Moses, How long will this wicked community, look at this next phrase, grumble against me? 
I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord. This is some incredibly intense writing here. So please follow and, and just listen to what God says. He says, as sure as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. What did they say? Remember when they complained? You brought us here to die, God! There's no water here. What kind of God are you? He says, you know what? The very thing you said will happen now. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who is counted in the census, and who has what? Grumbled against me? Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand. That was their inheritance, remember? That was their portion, as we learned in earlier weeks. Not one of you will enter it, except Caleb and Joshua. As for your children that you said to be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. For 40 years, one year, for each of the 40 days you explore the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. That's some powerful words, people. I'd ask you to listen to the Word of God. You see what I'm saying? Symbolically, when they wandered for 40 years, you know what, every year they wandered, I bet there were dads who said, man, year one's under our belt. That's the first day of exploration. I wish we'd have listened to God. I mean, think about those twelve, those ten, who came back and, and had no faith to forge ahead. They only saw with their eyes. They didn't see with their heart. They didn't hear what God had promised earlier. They just kind of gave in to circumstances. For every year they wandered with all their children, with their, with their grandparents and parents, their livestock. Every year. I mean, on year 23, they're like, man, I remember that 23rd day of exploring. I mean, it was a constant reminder of saying no to God. And then this phrase, your hand is against me. You know, in James, the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. Watch this. But He opposes the proud. This is a great Old Testament corollary to that, to that New Testament principle. Have you ever wondered why sometimes proud people have what seems like God against them? Why is it so hard for them to believe? Why is it so difficult for them to, to come to grasp with grace? And, and what's going on? I'll tell you one thing. It could be that God is, has His hand opposed to them. That is a very offensive and a proactive word on God's, in God's part. God's not a God of defensiveness. He doesn't sit back and say, Oh no, proud people caught me off guard. What am I going to do? I can't run the universe. God says, proud people, He actually takes an offensive stance against them and opposes them like He did here. My hand will be against you. It is a dangerous thing. Watch this. It is a dangerous thing to know what God wants you to do and to say no to it. Can I repeat that? It is a dangerous thing to know what God wants you to do and to say no. Say, Todd, I don't believe you. That's just a preacher's line to kind of get everybody emotional. That's kind of a church word, a church phrase. No, it's not. It's biblical. Numbers 14, Numbers 20, Exodus 17. The story is told of people who said, they heard God's voice and said, no, we don't, we don't want to live in the wonder of how awesome you are. Even though we saw what you did, we don't believe you anymore. And we start straying. We start wondering. And then God's hand comes against us. It's not where I want to live. Let's keep reading in Numbers 14. It talks here about 
how God spoke against them and against the community. And what I think is interesting is in verse 41, uh, verse 39, they really began to be repentant. At least outwardly. They said in verse 40, we have sinned. So now we'll go up to the place God's promised. But what does that say in verse 41? Moses says, don't do this now. God's not with you. They went on anyway. You'll find in verse 44, they suffered a great defeat. Isn't that funny? That, that even in their attempts... Now, I believe what happened was here, they were outwardly just trying to get God's approval. I don't think there was inward repentance. It's kind of like they were sorry they got caught. Not sorry they did it. The same things in Joshua 24. When Joshua said, we're going to serve the Lord. And they said, oh yeah, we're with you. And Joshua said this phrase, no, you, you can't serve the Lord. Think about that for an invitation. Here at church, we appeal for people to come to Christ, and they do. Oh, no, you can't come to Christ. What kind of church is this, you know? Because Joshua read that in their quick response, they were just saying it to kind of get off the hook. He says, no, and he made them instead repent and sign the covenant. I think what's happening here is the very same idea, the very same thing. They're just kind of like, well, let's just see if we can get God's quick favor and we'll do what He said. They went up and they got destroyed. You know why? Because in, the, in our hearts, if we're not trusting and following God, that's saying no to Him. It's not just a matter of the outward show. God looks deeper than your physical body. He looks at your heart. So, let me give you a little phrase to write down. The children of the Israelites wandered with an A. And I normally would show this to you, but I'm just going to say it to you. You can kind of copy this down. The Israelites wandered from wonder when they waited in unbelief. W-A-D-E-D. And by the way, that's what they did. I know very few people that say, hey, you know what? I'm going to turn on God. I'm diving headlong in unbelief. Here I come. You know, eight feet. Here we go. Most people wade into unbelief. And I'm going to show you how they do that in a little bit. They put a few feet in the waters. I'll just go ahead and tell you how it happens. You know what it starts with? It starts with our verbal words. Don't you think it's odd that in all of these stories of the Old Testament, what's the very first thing the children of Israel did when they heard God's command and saw this incredible vision and they thought, man, can we really do this? What did they do? They complained verbally. They grumbled. That's why dads and moms, let me speak to you very honestly here. You need to really guard the verbal atmosphere of your home. Because you're allowing seeds of unbelief to settle in when there's a lot of grumbling and complaining. That's right. I would encourage all parents to breed an atmosphere of gratitude, of trust, of thankfulness. You know why? Because that breeds belief. That that breeds confidence in God. But when there's always complaining, when there's always grumbling, it's the very beginning seeds of unbelief. It's what makes us way down to this, into, into this thought here. I bet God couldn't really do that. Man, it, it sure is short this month in the checkbook. Man, way to go, God. You said you'd meet my needs. This doesn't look like meeting my needs. Little by little, we start wading out into unbelief. We verbalize perhaps what our heart felt. And remember, in Psalm 73, he had the same situation. Remember this? In Psalm 73, he felt these things. But don't forget that verse where he said this. If I would have spoken this, I would have betrayed the people. There was a point to Asaph that though he felt things, he did not verbalize them. But you know why? Because he would have spread that whole uh, bitter root of unbelief. Grumbling, complaining spreads and often lays seeds 
for unbelief. That's how the children of Israel wandered. Because they began to wade in unbelief. Let me show you now even more how this relates to you. Look over at Hebrews 3. Because this psalm uh, in 95 does not only look backwards. It doesn't just say, hey, the children of Israel wandered. Let me show you how they did that. Okay, see you later. It also looks forward to Hebrews chapter 3. The writer of Hebrews takes this very psalm. And he uses it to show us how we should also now believe God. Hebrews chapter 3. I believe Timothy wrote the majority of Hebrews. And I believe he writes here in chapter 3. Look what he says in verse, about verse 7. Here he actually quotes from Psalm 95. You see it there in 7 and 8. The Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. And guys, watch this. In Psalm 95, he was speaking to the Jewish people. But in Hebrews 3, he's talking to Jewish people specifically, but it's in the New Testament to us. We are not to harden our hearts. As who did? As the Jews did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And those people 20 and above, they didn't, did they? Now watch this verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of... What's the next word? You. Suddenly it's not about the Israelites anymore. Who's it about? That's right. It's about you and you and you and you and you and you and me. That brings Scripture home, doesn't it? So we can't just keep looking back and saying, all those Israelites, man, what is it with them? They just couldn't get it. Well, let's bring it to 2005. What's with us? Sometimes we just don't get it, do we? Look what he says. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Instead, encourage one another daily. Well, there's a good worship word, isn't it? Okay, Ed's here on Sunday. I've got to encourage Ed. No, 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 no. Bad philosophy. Here's a great worship philosophy. Here's a 24-7 lifestyle. When I see Ed every day, man, I'm encouraging him. Ed, keep trusting God. I mean, it's easy in church to say, yeah, we trust God. Here's a few dollars. Lift my hands up. Yeah, all right. Let's trust God and go home. It's like, man, we can't meet the bills. We can't raise the kids. We can't love our spouse. Man, what's going on? Man, I want to say, Ed, every day trust God. That's the worship lifestyle we're after. Look at the next verse. He says, if, if we don't, he says, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened. See that word hardened? By sins deceitfulness. That's how it happens, guys. We wade in unbelief and suddenly our heart grows a little hard. Our heart grows a little harder. It grows a little more hard and suddenly we find ourselves at a place where we say, you know what? What God said is not true. We didn't dive headlong there first. We waded in that. And how did that happen? Usually by our words. Usually by grumbling and complaining. And suddenly we find ourselves at places we thought we'd never be. And that's where some of you are right now. Spiritually, you're thinking, you know, Todd, I never thought I'd be here spiritually. I mean, I remember a day when I was red hot for God. I was on fire for Christ. I was living for the Lord, so to speak. But now I find myself in places I never thought I'd be. I'll say to you, you know what it is? You waited in unbelief. Little by little, your heart became hardened. And now, you've said no to God. It's a dangerous thing. 
to say no to what God's calling you to do. Let's read on Hebrews 3. God's Spirit is, is truly in our, in our midst. And I'll, I just want to make sure you're aware of God's Word here. This is this next verse. I don't quite get it. I'll be honest with you. Theologically, I can explain it to you from my head. But I don't know how this whole verse works. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. That's a tough verse, you know. I mean, there's some implication here that, that holds that you can't just quickly say, yeah, okay, I'm part of that believing bunch and then go on with your life the way it is. Holding fast to your confidence. So it's, it, the New Testament calls it fruit bearing. And I've always preached and believed that genuine Christians always bear fruit. A lot of us bear fruit at different rates. True? I mean, you may have the, the Apostle Paul. He was saved. The, the light shone him. He chose to believe. And like the next day, he's like Billy Graham or something. You know what I mean? That happens. And then you have those who are more like Nicodemus. They check out Christ. They seem to watch Him for a year. They ask questions. But I'll tell you something. What you never find in the Bible is a Christian without fruit. You, you may find a Christian bearing fruit at different rates and different timetables. But you never find a Christian without fruit. I think that's the gist of this verse. There are those who's, who hold on and sometimes their grip may seem loose or it may seem like they're just grabbing hold. Others put arms and feet and bodies around it from day one. But I'll tell you something. Those in 1 John 2.19 bears this out. Who say, you know what? Yeah, I believe. No, I don't believe. Yeah, I believe. No, I don't believe. 1 John 2.19 says this. They went out from us. This is hard preaching, so hang with me. They went out from us because they really weren't with us. If they had been with us, 1 John 2.19, look it up. They would have remained among us. See, the, the real proof of God in your heart, the real proof of your belief is what I call stick to Genuine seed always produces fruit. You can say that's tough. You can say that's kind of harsh. You can call it, uh, you know, old-fashioned. I just call it the Bible. And I challenge you. If you'd like to this week, give me a call. I'll sit down with you. We'll look through the Bible. Old and New Testament. I'll show you how in the Bible, God's seed always produces fruit. I think that's the real gist in these verses. Look at the next verse. Verse 15. He says, and that's why... If you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And then this next, this next few verses is amazing. Look at verse 16. He's speaking now to us. Who were they who heard and rebelled? And he's kind of asking rhetorical questions here. Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? You bet it was. What is he saying there? Who are these folks that saw God at work and then said, oh, by the way, we don't believe? It was the very folks who saw Him send ten plagues on the Egyptians. More than you've ever seen. More than I've ever seen. And yet, in the, in the wake of that extreme victory, unbelief settled in. He asked again, And with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter His rest, if not to those who disobeyed? Wow, there's, there's some powerful teaching for us here. It's not enough to say Psalm 95 talks about what happened in the past. That's about the Israelites. That's good. But I'll tell you something. That psalm speaks of what happens in every person's life in this room. How we can go from extolling God and His greatness and thinking He's over all the earth and He's our God. We're His sheep and we bow down when we kneel. But then suddenly we find ourselves in unbelief and we start wandering. The question I've got for you is this. Are you at a place in your life where God has brought you to a crossroads 
And you're having to decide, how much do I really believe God? Am I really going to follow God or not? That is the question we have to ask ourselves. There may be someone in this room right now who's actually asking that question on a, on a, on a basis that affects your destiny. I mean, you've been checking God out via First Family Church. You've been coming and sitting in the back a little bit. Maybe you've been coming and sitting in the front. I don't know. There's not really a back or front in this room, is there? There's pretty much just, when you're here, you're here. Someone said this week, man, Todd, I've never been to church where sitting on the back row puts me in spitting distance. I mean, <laughs> that's about the way it is here, you know. So I don't know your situation, but maybe you've been checking out Christ's claims. You've been seeing the Bible. You've been reading through Psalms with us. And you find yourselves attracted to God's Word. And you know God is pricking your heart to believe that His Son, Jesus, is the only way to heaven. To put aside your own merit. To put aside your own righteousness. And to claim Christ as your only way. But you're thinking, you know what? Should I really trust God? Or should I stick to what I heard when I was a kid? And after all, I was baptized when I was six months old. Doesn't that work? Well, let's just see what the Bible says. The Bible says to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. To confess Him as risen from the dead. He's the only Savior to accept His gospel. When our heart cries out, God saves us. That's what the Bible says. So, well, Todd, my parents, they went to church. They took me to church. And I went to these classes. And then I got the certificate. I didn't quite get it, but they said I was kind of like included now. Or Todd, you know what? I gave like $20,000 to charities over the last four or five years. I've given tons of money. Surely God notices my checkbook. You're at a crossroads. Will you believe God? Or will you continue to wait in unbelief and say, well, I don't really think God, what He said is really true. The Bible says, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the gospel truth. Believe it. I think some people here are probably waiting in unbelief in other areas. Maybe God's calling you to get more involved in some areas. You're saying, God, I just, I just don't think I really uh, have the ability or the time or the energy. Maybe you don't. You and God talk about it, talk with your family. But what if it's beyond that? What if that's an excuse? What if for the first time in your life you're at a church where there's a smaller group taking you a little deeper, holding you more accountable, and suddenly in exposing some of your life, you're like, whoa, I don't like this. Uncomfortable. The uncomfortable meter's going off. You know, you're like, I'm out of this deal. And so you say, you know what? I just don't really think that's what God wants me to do. Really? You better be sure because it's a dangerous thing to say no to what God's calling you to do. Am I being straight with you enough? It could be about an area of service. It could be about coming to this church. God could be leading you to this church to help us plant this church. But Todd, this is out of my comfort zone. I was used to this, or I'm used to that, or I'm looking for that. This church is even hardly one year old, and we're meeting in like a cafeteria. You're right. And in just one year, God has shown His favor in ways I don't know if I could ever imagine. God is so awesome in spite of all of my weaknesses, in spite of your weaknesses. In spite of your failures and my fears, God has shown Himself strong on our behalf. Why? Because as the Old Testament prophet said, our hearts are completely His. He didn't ask if our acts were completely His, did He? Those whose performances are completely His. He said, listen, I will show myself strong to those whose hearts are completely mine. Now, I'll tell you in this church, that's one thing you can bank on. This leadership team and the people that planted this church and those who've joined our ranks over the last 11, 12 months and it's grown from just a few to this 
You know what? Man, our hearts are completely God's. We don't have it all down pat. I mean, just look behind me. We don't have it all down pat, okay? But I'll tell you something. Our hearts are, are completely God's. Our eyes are on the vision He has for us. Impacting Ankeny, Metro Des Moines, and Central Iowa. Our five-year goals are, are, very, are very deep. I mean, they're, they're massive. But let me ask you a question. Who do we really believe? The bank? Do we believe the, uh, the news? Or do we believe God? And this thing's just giving me fits here. Let's go my ear. Apologize. Let me show you one more scripture as we close. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I bring this to your attention because I, I want to make a, just a clear statement. Psalm 95 lays out for us, really, uh, the pinnacle story that we should learn from. Look at 1 Corinthians 10. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, about verse 1, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They all baptized and so forth. He talks about how they, they all had the same exposure. Look at verse 5. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. What a visible word picture that is. And by the way, most scholars believe that the Israelites took the same journey multiple times in the desert. They didn't wander a new path for 40 years. They probably wandered the same course multiple times. And more than likely, they passed the graves over and over again. So you can you imagine about year maybe 34, say, man, look at all those bodies and those graves and those bones. I remember when that happened. That would have been a long 40 years if you ask me. And if, if it had been me, I'd have probably wanted to say, listen, I'll never sin again. I'll always say yes. And we know that's probably not what I would do. It's not what they did. Look what he says here. Verse 6. These things occurred as examples. Why? To keep us from setting our hearts on evil things. Where does God want you to set your heart? He wants you to set it on Him and to believe in Him. And He goes through and He lists in these next few verses... The different instances in which they tested God, they didn't believe God, and, and how they were punished. Verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. And then watch this next verse. I had a whole new appreciation this week of this verse. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. Isn't that odd? That verse comes on the heels of the whole story about Psalm 95, Hebrews 3, Numbers 20, Numbers 14, Exodus 17. Why? Because if anybody thought they were standing, it had to be the Israelites after Egypt. I mean, they just crossed this massive body of water and didn't do one diddly squat thing. And God said, drown the Egyptian army, their history, and they're just sitting there thinking, man, we're pretty awesome. They didn't think that. I mean, an incredible miracle occurs. They were standing. And what did he say? When that happens, be careful that you don't fall. You know what God knows that we often forget? Is that the, the road from wonder to wander usually starts after a great victory. Then there's a moment of, of testing, a crossroads. 
And then we're back to square one again. Okay, do we believe God? Or we're going to say no. I'll share with you that our church, I mean, we're here. I mean, our RL team and our elders that are uh, in training right now, the ones that we're going to introduce to you hopefully on Anniversary Sunday. I mean, we're praying, especially this week, you set aside the last few days and the next few days until we meet again Wednesday to pray about what is what... What specific things can we really focus on for 06? How does God, what is the next step for our church? And it's, it's a massive prayer. I'll ask you, I invite you to join in prayer with us. This is not a light thing. I mean, we're look, you know, we've got the land. We're looking at 240, 250 people. We really desire a small group and, and a shepherding atmosphere. That's a, that's a magnanimous responsibility. And we want to make sure that on anniversary Sunday in the next few weeks that we come to you with some really specific focus areas and say to you, listen, Here's where we really feel God is leading First Family. Over the next six months to year, we want to ask you to do the following things. And will you work with us and then get your input and feedback? You know why? Because we don't want to say, hey, okay, great. This is what we've been asking for. We're filled up. Let's get comfortable. We're fine. See you later. We can meet the bills. And we can be. That's not why we're here. There's a whole city out there. There's thousands who don't even go to church anywhere, who don't know Christ. There's a whole area of our city, not just Ankeny, but Metro Des Moines. That needs impact. And watch this. There's areas of the world with unknown people groups who've never heard the gospel. Some of these don't even have the gospel in their language. Could it be that God is raising up some of you to go there? You're like, Todd, I like Ankeny. Leave me alone. God loves the world. Could He be sending you? Could He have sent you here for a time because He really wants you to go there? These are all questions that we're asking ourselves. And you need to ask yourself, you know why? Because at a crossroads, it is not, it is not good, healthy, or wise to say, you know what, God? I think we'll just take a multiple choice on this one. I know you want us to go this, but can we take like option B and we'll just kind of hold steady? God, we'll just kind of say, uh, we'll take our own idea. No, no, no. When God speaks, we need to obey. Believe and obey. It's a dangerous thing not to. Prove it, Todd. Psalm 95 does. Psalm 95 proves it's a dangerous thing not to believe God and act on it. What is your crossroads this morning? Could it be something very personal? Could it be an issue of your finances? Could it be an issue in your family? Could it be an issue maybe about your pride or your commitment, your involvement? Maybe about your own vulnerability spiritually? Could it be an issue perhaps with, with relationships in your family, restoring those? Where is your crossroads right now? And what does God want you to do? I want to say to you this morning, say yes to God. Is that clear enough? Say yes to God. And isn't that really what my job is? To encourage you as much as possible to say yes to God. I don't want to give you an easy out. I don't want to make it easy for you to, to disobey. I want to prompt you and, and exhort you to obey. So I say to you, corporately, obey God. Maybe you're here and your crossroads is simply believing. I invite you this morning to lift your heart to God and say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross and are the only way to heaven. Your blood forgives my sin. I believe. Say that. That would be awesome. 
this morning, God would take you from the kingdom of darkness, as He says in Ephesians, and He would translate you. He would move you to the kingdom of light. What an awesome thing to happen. What a miracle. That puts you in a place of wonder, wouldn't it? I don't know what your crossroads is. Maybe it's about getting back spiritually. Some folks were that like, well, I need to get back in church. I think that's a decent crossroads, don't you? I think you ought to get involved in this church. I don't make any bones about that. Why would I believe in something and pastor it and then say, well, you know, I don't think it's that great. I think it's awesome here. I think it's a great church and God's Spirit's very present. And I encourage you, if you've been here checking things out, thinking, well, maybe church. Hey, man, First Family's arms are wide open. This is a graceful place and we can help you grow. I want to encourage you, whatever your crossroads is, don't say no to God. Because the beginning is of unbelief. And I want to encourage those families here who are really following God and who really are, are, are trying to say yes. I want, to, I want to encourage you with this tidbit of information where God has had me all week. Man, I would really begin to watch the verbal environment of your home. I really believe, based on my study this week, that verbal words lay the seeds for unbelief. Complaining, griping, it just kind of starts spreading a sense of discontent. And then someone starts actually believing. Well, maybe you're right. No, the truth is they're not right. God is awesome. He's powerful. We believe Him. Let's take Him in His Word and move on. And I think that happens in individual families. So dads and moms whose hearts are so towards God, man, watch the verbal environment. And I would challenge you with your spouse to say, uh, and me and Julie talked this week about this whole idea. She gets things a little earlier than you do because I live with her, you know. And we're talking this week. I said, honey, you know, I apologize. I said, there are times I know that my first response has been, why did that happen? Or how can we do that? This is not going to work. And it's been laying a small seed of doubt, perhaps, in her mind to our family. And I said, I apologize. Man, when I hear God and I see God, you know what I want to do? I want to say, got it. I'm, I'm on it. And when folks ask how or why, I just I don't know. God said it. I don't need to ask any questions. Kind of, George, you like that, don't you? That's a real military response, isn't it? That's, that's how it ought to be with God. He says it. He lays the rules. I'll do it. I don't want to have the grumbling and the complaining that led the Israelites to, to a quarrelsome, to a Meribah, to a Messiah. So what is your crossroads? Purge the words of unbelief. Take a stand with God and move forward. May Psalm 95 teach us not to go from wonder to wonder, but to stay at the place where God is always all-consuming. Let's pray this morning, shall we?